14 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. Now, uh, this evening, as I said when we started the show, we've got a fascinating conversation set up uh, for our tech conversations. I'm going to be joined by Stan, Stanley Semelane, who recently completed his PhD. Now, uh, he was looking in that PhD at uh, the localization impacts of this transition from fossil-based fuel, uh, your fossil-based uh, forms of energy generation to uh, more... Uh, I guess cleaner forms of energy, in particular solar photovoltaics, yeah, uh, and uh, whether or not these could be manufactured in many of the coal phase-out regions. And uh, the case study, in particular, uh, focused on Steve Chwete local municipality. And uh, yeah, Stanley reached out to us uh, because um, you know he felt that this is a conversation we ought to be having, and I certainly agree with him. Uh, I, I do think that the defining process, as I said, for the next few decades or so in South Africa is going to be this energy transition. It's going to be uh, the shift of the uh, generative basis of how we power our future away from, you know, this, uh, I guess, uh, over-reliance on coal uh, and a very sort of, uh, I guess, utility-heavy type model. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's the reality we're faced with. But the big question all of us are asking is what is this going to mean for the community, for instance, of Kwakuka, uh, um, you know, Emalasheni, who for generations have been working, you know, what will it mean for many of the people who worked in uh, many other sectors whose knock-on impacts emerged from the investments that were made in coal uh, and the continuing operations of ESCOM reliant as they are on the coal that comes from many of these mines. That's what we're asking this evening. And Stanley joins me now on the line. He's a senior researcher at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. Stanley, good evening to you and welcome. Evening, Ayabonga, and evening to the listeners. Yeah, man. Stanley, once again, thank you very much for reaching out, man. Firstly, I didn't know this kind of research is happening, um, and it's so much the better that it's happening within an institution in our national system of innovation, the CSIR. Uh, And once again, congratulations on finishing the PhD, and we certainly look forward to seeing and uh, reading some of the articles associated with with it. Okay, sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stanley, let's maybe start off here, man. Uh, your your curiosity behind this particular issue. I think I've tried to paint the scene of the situation that is set to unfold in many coal-producing parts of our country. Uh, but um, just give us a sense, I mean, of what piqued your curiosity about this particular issue um, and, and, and how you undertook, I guess, to answer some of the research questions that emerged as a result. Okay, sure. Thank you. Look, uh... I'm a resource economist by profession, mm. so I found myself in the energy business by destiny, if you like. This is not something that I planned I would do when I studied my undergrad. Mm. Uh, so the first opportunity I got to get into the energy sector was at Central Energy Fund. At the time, there was a guy by the name of Dr. Chris Cooper who used to lecture energy studies at the University of Johannesburg. So he is the one that told me about opportunities in the energy business. And uh, that's when I thought about really changing the focus of my on, on, on my career. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's just the background in terms of where I'm coming from. At, at that time, I was doing clean development mechanism, which is the initiative that uh, reduces carbon 
emissions. So there was a portfolio of renewable energy investment mm. that was sitting at Central Energy Fund. Okay. And we were trying to exploit some carbon revenue that could be derived from, from those investments. Mm. So that would be your additional income on top of what you would generate in terms of the electricity sales that you owe that the 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 the, the the terawatt, uh, the the megawatts that you sell, or the kilowatt hour rather that you sell at maybe eighty cent, one rand, whatever the price mm, might be. Mm, so mm. that's that's how I got into this business. Subsequent to that, uh, I had an opportunity to work in the Eastern Cape, uh, where I was supporting the sustainable energy initiatives and Eastern Cape exposed me to, because all my life I lived in Joburg, I grew up in a Johannesburg Township, but gave me a different look in terms of when you are, say, between East London and PE, you are more like in Johannesburg, but when you are in far lands of Umtata or Kaiskamauk, you are really in a different rural area. Mm. So it gave me exposure at the, at the same time. In the Eastern Cape, there was a lot of independent power producers that were initiating projects. And wind, yeah, especially. Mm. Wind, mm. particularly. Uh, but they also have a solar resource. There's one project there that was doing solar. Mm. So when I left Eastern Cape, I came to join the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research in Pretoria. I was uh, hired to look at uh, localization, particularly. So... Look, as the energy system in the country is transitioning from coal into uh, sustainable energy technologies or cleaner technologies, uh, you are likely to have some casualties in terms of uh, people that might lose out in the transition. So the study that I looked at really focused on what could be done, particularly for cold regions. And in this regard, I just did a case study looking one specific technology, uh, which is uh, solar photovoltaics in mm. this regard. And one of the reasons uh, we looked at, uh, with my supervisors, Prof. Namdi and Dr. Njabul and Dr. Enerika, was that when we assessed the resource for wind, particularly in our cold regions, that is the Mpumalanga area, mm. we realize that there is not sufficient wind. Mm. There is wind in some pockets, but the area that we I chose for the case study, sure, there are some sure. areas that would not have the wind. But that does not mean that mm. the region itself, particularly the Nkangala district, sure. does not have some great Stanley, pockets of wind. Let's do this. Let's yes. pause for a second because we need to quickly go and pay the bills. Okay, but when right. we come back, I want you to continue on that vein of thought because that also inf- influences the feasibility of what you choose. Okay. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Tech Conversations here on Metro FM Talk. Stanley Semelane is my guest this evening. He's a senior researcher at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. We talked to him this evening about the economic feasibility of uh, renewable projects in many of the coal phase-out regions as part of uh, ensuring that our energy transition is a just and an equitable one. And uh, Stanley joins us uh, this evening. Stanley, uh, just before we went to the break, I guess for the purposes of those who've just joined us, uh, you were touching on uh, some of the you know, basic things you would look at to uh, consider whether or not a place like Ngangala uh, would have you know, the uh, I guess feasibility of 
a wind vis-a-vis maybe a gas or solar PV or other form of a renewable project. Uh, talk, talk to me about, I guess, the considerations as you were uh, around wind um, and uh, what you arrived at. Stanley? Stanley? Are you able to hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, perfectly. Great. Yeah, sure. I was saying just to give you, just to go a, a step, uh, one step, just to give you a context uh, a background. Okay. You are sitting with a, 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 a coal economy that is the third largest contributor in terms of our GDP when you compare it with other mining sectors in mm. South Africa. That is the coal mining. This sector creates about 92,000 direct jobs and 170,000 indirect jobs. You look at the integrated resource plan, which is more of a plan that tells us how our energy mix would look like between now until 2050. And you realize when you look at that plan that we are going to lose a significant amount of coal power stations, mainly because of their age. So average age of our power station in South Africa sitting at about uh, 42 years or so. Mm. So this, this, this infrastructure has been have existed for many, many years. Uh, now uh, you have a number of policies that are in place, local and international uh, uh, treaties, if you like, Uh, that South Africa has ratified, for example, the Paris Agreement on Climate Change that uh, aims to ensure that at least uh, we manage the temperature increases moving forward. Uh, And in that regard, there should be less than 2% or 1.5% increase. So so I guess in a way, I mean... A lot of your work had to look at that, but also in relation to some of the bigger plans. I mean, the, the integrated resource plan being one of those. Um, and I guess the, the obligation of ensuring that you're able to transition people between different economic opportunities. That is what is needed in South Africa. And uh, if you think about the Chapter 5 of the National Development Plan, mm. that speaks of re- reliable and, and efficient energy services that are, are competitive in terms of price. Social equity is one of the key things that are there, as well as environmental sustainability. Mm. Now, then you have all these uh, 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 objectives sitting in the NDP, but the reality of the matter, you have this key sector, and you still have the coal resource, by the way. It mm. doesn't mean that coal, yes, coal will deplete as a natural resource over time. But in terms of the stock that is available in South Africa, we, we have sufficient stock that can last for many, many years. Mm. However, in terms of climate change, fossil fuels are not good for the environment, and there's many reasons for that. Uh, so on the study, I was looking at the localization impact of what could solar PV play in tra- what role it could play in trying to achieve a just energy transition. So, so because the transition we could have we could transition and adopt cleaner sources of technology and have a much uh, sustainable uh, type of an energy system. Mm. But that does not necessarily mean that it would be just. Mm. It could be unjust. 
So you could have an unjust transition. Sure, sure, so sure. There has to be some economic activities that would then uh, be channeled towards the region that would be uh, phasing out coal mm. power stations. Remember, coal also, in, when you think about the value chain of coal, it's coal mining, it's the transport yes. sector we've seen sure. at some point. The trucks uh, and all of that, yeah. Yeah, all, all, that entire value chain, uh, some of the mining uh, 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 equipment companies yes. that will supply yes. components, everything that is tied to that would be, uh, the manufacturing in that region would be affected as well. So in this regard, I had four objectives that I looked at in, 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 in my PhD mm. study. And the first thing I, I tried to assess was whether can South Africa manufacture uh, solar PV. And the reason I'm When you say that, that, are you saying the components or just the, the finished good? The finished good. Okay, so sure, I, and, sure. and I use a methodology called uh, MSP, Minimum Sustainable Price, mm. which simply means that you have all your operational and your capex and your balance sheet and all the expenses, and you're looking for a list number that should make you break even. And I wanted to check if that number that I would come to would uh, uh, be competitive relative to what the Chinese OEMs are selling at, and that is uh, the per watt of PV that they will sell at. So I was comparing those prices with the spot uh, uh prices in, in China to see if we can be can we be competitive. Because one of the or if you like, the critics of renewable energy, mm. they'll criticize the renewables and say, uh, when you compare it to and I think it's unfair comparison, that's my view. Uh, they would say for when you have a coal power station that will last for thirty years, you have a coal mine that will last there that will feed coal uh, uh, into the into, into that power station. Whereas on renewables, most of the jobs are, are generated during construction. Then a small fraction of the job creation would be in the operations and maintenance side. But uh, we know all of us, construction does not last forever. Mm. And there's many challenges if you start to think about South Africa and the countries that are leading in renewable energy component manufacturing, countries like China mm. and India. One disadvantage we have is our energy system is it is too small relative to what China or India is. So sure, if I can sure. give you the numbers, for example, just one. In India, you have about uh, 385 gigawatts of power. That is their size. Mm. In South Africa, you have around 40 gigawatts. So just below 10% of that. Mm. And China is much bigger than, than, than India when you compare them in terms of their power system. So that alone, in South Africa, sitting about 6-7% of renewables. Uh, in, 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 in China, you're sitting about, just for solar PV in India, you're sitting with 204,000 megawatts mm. of power. So our country is small. The energy demand that we have is small relative to these countries that are living mm. in terms of components. Yeah, but also population-wise. I mean, these are nations with exactly. billions of people, yeah. you know? So, mm. so in that regard, uh, one, one, so uh, we, uh, we published a paper that showed that uh, 
you could uh, have that minimum sustainable price, but I think that that, that would not be feasible without mm. subsidies. And subsidies have its own challenges in terms of the uh, World Trade Organization treaties. For example, nice. one specific treaty I'm speaking about in this regard is the agreement on, on subsidies mm. and, and, and countervailing measures, yeah, which yeah. Uh, has have been challenged by the European Union and the Japanese have challenged to say uh, it's not unfair to subsidize mm. uh, component ma- manufacturing relative to subsidizing the electricity uh, price per kilowatt hour, trying to, in- to reduce electricity. So there's many challenges. Mm. That, so, so are you suggesting that, that there's also a big debate around where in that value chain you put in the subsidy? Do you subsidize the cost for the consumer uh, last mile or do you effectively go upstream and subsidize uh, at some point close to generation or even in the component manufacturing sector? Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say when I was speaking about this, this uh, World Trade Organization mm, argument. Mm, the best mm. way, or what is less complex, particularly, uh, look, the world, in my view, uh, the World Trade Organization sees uh, what we call economic protect, protect, protectionism as yes. something that is negative. So they prefer an open market that is competitive, mm. which is fine and good. Mm. But But if... If South Africa were to subsidize, for example, component manufacturing, mm. uh, you need to then to think about uh, how, who is going to demand these components because you, you have to take into account the size of our energy. Sure, sure. So then that forces you to, to think in a regional manner. Mm, I was about to ask. I was about to ask that because, I mean, ESCOM has had for many years regional exports uh, and South Africa is also involved in many regional projects. I mean, I think of Inga as one. Uh, and, and the big question mark for me, we might have a s- small market here. But uh, if you go further into the sub-Saharan African region, uh, where are the opportunities there for a component manufacturing industry that can at least assist in climate adaptability initiatives in other countries as well, which include this energy transition? That is correct. What I can tell you is uh, the the, the, the solar resource in the sub-Saharan region, you're looking at about an average of 5.62 5.62 kilowatt hours per square meter. That's mm. good enough. Mm. If you compare that to countries like Germany that don't have the temperatures that we have and sure. the solar radiation, the resource, it is we have a great resource. However, South Africa cannot trade on every component. Mm. Because you, you trade itself, it means that I will supply you with some goods and you probably supply me with some of the components. And one of the research questions that is existing, if you think, at, particularly for, for regional uh, local manufacturing of renewable energy components, would be which, which component is best for South Africa to throw all its weight in, support, subsidize, with the aim of uh, supplying it beyond the South African market uh, or the SADC market, but throughout the Sub-Sahara region. That is a research question because there's many components. Even on wind, there's good pockets of wind in the sub-Saharan region that are there. So which country, which countries uh, would then, because all the countries want to have an economic contribution, they want to create jobs. 
also, I, I suppose it has to be ne- negotiated at that African Union level or mm. any other uh, statutory body that could exist at, at, in for the South African continent. But I think if you start to bring in the, the region, then you're speaking different numbers in terms mm. of the, the... Yeah, but in this regard, I was just looking at South Africa sure, and sure. I'm saying the, 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 the energy system itself, the size of it is not sufficient. Yeah. Stanley, no. maybe no. just, and I'm quite conscious of the time we have. Unfortunately, we left with about three minutes or so. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm quite interested in a critical part of your study, which was looking at how, you know, you can interface local economic development initiatives, uh, you know, at, I guess, a district municipal uh, level with national level priorities like the Just Transition. Uh, especially now in the context where we're talking about a district development model, there's massive ideas around how you get better coordination and alignment at a local level. Um, what, what were some of your findings around that, around the capability of all of these different institutions and stakeholders uh, to effectively cohere around a very clear plan that prioritizes what you're going to manufacture, what you won't manufacture, and effectively how you access key markets for some of what you produce? Okay, fine. Yeah, one of the key things uh, that, that we looked at, for example, I tried to assess whether businesses located in cold regions can really participate in solar PV. Because it's one, and the first thing we did there was to assess as to whether all the enterprises located in this region, are they really supplying or participating in the cold value chain? Because I was trying to assess the just aspect of the transition. Because it's possible to have enterprises sitting in Johannesburg and Cape Town and doing business in Pumala. So it doesn't mean that if, if, if you are phasing out coal, the people that are located there would be affected. Perhaps uh, direct jobs would be affected, but the entire business might not be affected. So we assessed that. And we found mm. that uh, only 57.1% of businesses located in coal regions participated in the Cold value chain or involved somehow directly or indirectly in the coal business. Mm, mm, mm. And, so, and, and, yeah, yeah. Then we, okay, yeah, I just wanted to say then we tested whether they participated in the solar PV sector. Mm. And about 14% of those businesses have participated. And one of the things we tested, then we tried to break down the value chain in terms of the components, which would include the glass, steel, a number of components. Mm. To say, are, you, are, they, are they involved in, in whether they're supplying steel for a mine, etc.? Because then you can then switch into new opportunities that might be available. And the mm. reason for this, or what is important to say, maybe because of time, is there is a grid infrastructure in, in the Mpumalanga area. And that might be left as a stranded asset if ever there are no initiatives that would make sure that uh, that region continues mm. to generate electricity. Sure, sure. Lastly, uh, if you think about Northern Cape, that is the greatest solar resource in South Africa. Mm. There's, there, are, there are power losses as you transmit or distribute the power into your central hub, like a Johannesburg, mm. for example. And you look the kilometers between an area like Whitbank or Steve Trader, sure. it's, 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 it's the kilometers are much less relative to where uh, the Nordic Cape would be located at. You know, Stanley, a conversation like this, man, I I always think we'll never have enough time for it because it's so important. 
Uh, and there's so many things we could talk about. I mean, we haven't even touched on some of the modeling you've done and the jobs numbers you arrived at. I mean, nearly 250,000 jobs over 10 years. If we implement 100% local content requirement scenarios, and uh, that, I guess, just gives us a sense if we engage in some proportionality in, in the potential number of jobs that could be created here uh, and uh, i certainly encourage stanley many people to go and check out that study i i just saw now there's a study out uh, in the journal for uh, you know uh, e- energy sources economics planning and policy uh, yeah. which is available for free. And I'd encourage many people, written with Namdi Nulu, Jabulo Kambule and Henrika Tajinga, uh, and uh, Stanley Semelane also uh, uh, in that article as well, uh, titled Evaluating Economic Impacts of Utility Scale Solar Photovoltaic Localization in South Africa. And uh, maybe lastly, Stanley, I do think uh, you must go back to the Eastern Cape. Maybe we need to make sure... Uh, we get the, one of the headmen there to give you some land there because I think we also need to resolve the same feasibility questions around many of the component manufacturing for the wind sector as well. It's sad to look at closed factories in places like Goha at a time when the wind sector um, is making considerable investments in that province. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Stanley, thank you very much for your time and uh, yeah, for your fascinating insights this evening. Thank you, Ayabonga. Hey, Stanley Semelane there. And yeah, go check out his piece. Uh, I think I'm actually going to share it on my timeline there on Twitter, on at Twitter. Just check it out. No, go man. Knowledge and the acquisition of knowledge fashionable, especially if it's socially relevant knowledge like this.